All right, folks, welcome back to this Mount West Wire football podcast. MWR.com is where you can find all of our stuff we talked about. Written work, uh, check out our podcast feed wherever you're listening to this. If you're brand new, thank you. Hit the, what is it, Matt? Follow, like, subscribe, one of the three, just to one of the, whatever button says, yes, I want more of this every week to my feed. Or every time we upload something, please do that. And we're here. We're going to Vegas, UNLV. It should be an interesting conversation, I think. Interesting. There's a lot going on. New coaching staff, uh, expectations. Some were saying hi. Some were like optimistic with new offensive coordinator in town. That team was close to a bowl game last year. Yeah, that's that's true. I was not happy the coaching change. We'll see how Barry Odom does because he uh, takes over for Marcus Royo. It was a very divisive move, and I know that you know, relative to like the politics of, of what happens within an athletic department in a university, the fact that, you know, the the athletic director who had hired Marcus Aurora had left for, I believe it was Missouri, was it not? Um, maybe. Iowa State? Yeah, Des- Desiree Reed Francois, I believe, ended up in Missouri. But, you know, long story yeah. short, you know, when, when a new AD comes in, they want to put their stamp on a program. So, you know, when you think back to the, to the 2022 season, you know, you think that, yeah, they were like right there. And then if any number of things had gone differently, you know, the entire tenor of this of this season could have looked much, much different. You know, it's it's very easy to forget that, you know, despite the fact they finished five and seven last year, that they were four and one at the end of September, going, you know, with two and zero in conference play, even with two pretty convincing wins against teams that, you know, on paper at that juncture in the season, they were pretty clearly definitively better than in, in Utah state and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And then the wheels just kind of fell off for, for a, a handful of reasons, you know, injuries of course played a part, um, you know, cheap among them at the quarterback position, but you know, it was just, you know, if it wasn't one thing like, you know, the defense really struggling mightily, you know, immediately after that in conference play, giving up 40 points to San Jose state and then 42 to air force, uh, and then, you know, f- you know, 44 to Notre Dame, maybe a little more understandable. And then, you know, once Brumfield was able to recover from his injury, you know, it was very clearly he, you know, that he was not quite the same as he was before that. And then, you know, if it wasn't for the season ending win against Nevada, you know, they could have lost four straight one score games to close out the season. And that was really sort of the entire story of the Marcus Aurelio era was so many close calls, you know, over the last two seasons. And so, you know, getting, you know, that close to San Diego State, getting that close to Fresno State, and then I would say maybe the the death now losing on the road at Hawaii, Um like I said, you can't really pin it on one thing because, you know, for as good as they looked at, at the beginning of the season, you know, this is still a team that when all was said and done, they were, they were 101st overall by SP plus. They were only 89th by net points per drive, only 105th by available yards percentage per drive. So there were a lot of ways in which they left a lot on the table by season's end, but new head coach, in Barry Odom, you know, new coordinators on both sides of the ball, you know, lots of new imports uh, through the transfer portal on both sides of the ball. And and even despite the fact 
that they're losing, oh, that they lost a number of key players to the transfer portal as well. Guys like Leif Bautanu, Eden Robbins, the running back, Noel Williams, Cal. There are still a lot of good reasons why Rebels fans should remain optimistic about this team's ability to take one more step forward in 2023, I think. Yeah, it's interesting it's because those last three games, like you mentioned, one quarter games, if Brunfield's healthy, here's the, if, here's the legit thing. If they would one more game, Marcus Rora is still the coach. They're 6-6. Six and six, They go to bowl game. They're not firing a coach who took Rebels to their first bowl game in about a decade. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see if this move to bring in Barry Odom, which it's an interesting name because the AD is like, I want experienced guys. I want this because you and Elise tried it all. They tried high school coach before with Tony Sanchez. Brought a Marcus Royal and OC here. They've tried all different things, but they've never really been able to get an experienced coach who's had big time, not just success, but coaching at was well Missouri before. Obviously, whether were they in SEC or only Big Twelve, I forget. They were in the SEC but, by that point. Okay, and so he took Missouri. Was he one of the Missouri coaches that took them to like the SEC title game? I uh, no, I believe was that, that was Gary, Gary Pinkle, if I'm not mistaken. Gary Pinkle. Okay, yeah, but Odom's been around, and then he did good things at Arkansas where he helped that defense and it's a coach where he's been around. He was the Missouri coach like for four years with Arkansas. He obviously mostly defensive guy. So he's 25 and 25 college head coach, head coaching record. So bringing him in, it's a guy who's seen it and coached at a high level. And that's something rebel like on the surface, like, well, who's Barry Odom? It's like, well, you got it. You pulled away an OC or DC from Arkansas. It's like, well, whatever Arkansas, but it's SEC. Former head coach at Missouri in the Big 12, and I guess partially, or SEC, whatever whatever years it was, but at a big-time college program in the Missouri, you know what I mean? In the yeah, SEC, <clears> every <throat> year's SEC, that's right. So, and where he would had three winning seasons, or two winning seasons, and won six and six. So he was successful at the SEC at a place where Missouri's really, you know, SEC is like, what? They're really in that conference? Okay, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and, and, and life in the SEC East in particular, dealing with Georgia and, and Tennessee every year, not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Yeah, and so he held his own clearly fine. So that, we talked about this, if you want to go back and listen to it, some shows we did in the past in the spring about the hire and everything. It's it's a good move for them. For what what you think in Rebels normally would get, like, well, they're getting some random FCS coach or some coordinator from the MAC or Sunbelt or somebody else within the Mountain West. It's a big time move to gain this. It shows that they're more committed to football because they're able to bring him in. And then let's talk about this. The bet the best thing that probably happened to them ever. They brought in freaking Bobby Petrino, Road Rash, Dayton, the uh, assistant volleyball coach, player, whatever it was, student assistant. I don't recall the exact. A much younger person showed up at the press conference. Oh, my neck's hurting. Well, that guy who quit the Atlanta Falcons at halftime, essentially, with a note when the game was over. Mm-hmm. And then luckily, his good old buddy Bobby, uh, Bobby Petrino goes, Come down to College Station. It's great. And what do we see this week at SEC Media Days? Yeah, he may call plays. He may not. We'll see. A little bit of discord. <laughs> so, moving having him not around is, I think, a, a positive because he brought in Brendan Marion. It was like, we know what he did at Hawaii. He was on the opposite end of Howard upsetting UNLV a couple years ago. He was a Texas wide receivers coach, so he's worked with good quarterbacks and high-level talent. This is the most exciting hire in the conference. That's why I'm very excited for the Rebels. I don't know if the women's will all be there, but what we've seen Hawaii's done, and was he who's at Pitt as well? 
correct? Was he there when Jordan Addison was at Pitt before he went to USC? Uh, I believe he was there for that year, yeah. So like he's been around good players and good talent. So he it's it'll be different talent level for what he can do for the offense because clearly not as good as Texas or Pitts. But he is coaching the Mountain West before, and I'd like what this can what he can do potentially could be do because offense is pretty fun to watch. Yeah, and it really does, you know, and and I think we got a lot of good questions from our our followers on Twitter. And you know, one of the one of the first ones that sort of caught my attention from uh from Steve Evenson, you know, is the key to more rebel wins better offense or defense? And I mean, it may sound like a cop out to say a little bit of both. Health, but it does health, sort health of to Doug Brumfield. Doug Brumfield healthy helps. Yeah, and that was a and that was another question that we got from from Jason Kelly. Will Doug Brumfield be healthy? And I'll I don't <laughs> obviously obviously we can't predict that, but you know it is at least a little worrisome that he's missed time over the last couple of years with various injuries. I think if you're looking for upside, it's not like he's had those kind of nagging injuries. It's not like it's been like like muscles, like soft tissue injuries, like hamstring injuries that tend to sort of creep up every now and then. Mm-hmm. It's been other types types of things that have sort of held him back, but I think it's pretty clear by this point that he has the talent. You know, we saw it especially very early last year. And, and injuries played at least some role in why he was less effective in conference play than he had been in September last year. And I think you know the the split between the three non-conference games that he played and the seven conference games that he played is sort of instructive because you know in non-conference play he completed 70% of his throws, you know, 9.1 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns, one interception. And maybe some of that has to do with the the level of competition that he played. You know, obviously he torched Idaho State, which you know, everybody did that last year, but he also had a very good game against North Texas as well. And other than a couple of misfires on the road at Cal, you know, he he held his own in that game against a pretty decent Golden Bears defense. But, you know, especially after coming back from injury, he just wasn't quite the same. You know, a few more few more turnovers down the stretch, and that was really what doomed them against both of San Diego State uh, and Hawaii. But at the same time, like, you know, the, the talent is there. You know, he he has the ability to run the ball a little bit as well. He had six rushing touchdowns without necessarily being overly reliant on it. And if you're looking for upside, you know, I think it's worth pointing out that according to Pro Football Focus, he also had a turnover-worthy rate of only 3%. That was the third best rate in the, in the Mountain West. And at the same time, he was also undermined a bit here and there by drops last year. He had the third highest drop rate on his passes, 10.9% of any quarterback in the Mountain West. So, you know, if, if you're looking to make the case that, you know, improved offense is going to lead the way for the Rebels this year, you know, I think, you know, part of that's going to be on Brumfeld. But I, I do think that as some of those numbers indicate, you know, part of that improvement is going to come from elsewhere on offense as well. Yeah, it's good. Well, I think that will jump around, but Aiden Robbins is gone. So that's a big loss. Dallas Nerd rusher to BYU. So that's huge for them, but it's going to be Brownfield. But still, what is it? What are we going to see from Marion's offense? So who's going to replace, like again, Robbins? Like we've seen. Think of the teams like um, Marion was around because was he there when um, Calvin Turner? Or excuse me. Uh, yes, he was. He was the, yeah, Calvin, the wide receivers coach. Sorry, yeah, Calvin Turner. So look what he did. He was kind of running back, kind of not a running back. 
I don't recall what Texas did. There's no point to being super creative when you have Bijan Robinson as your running back last year. Well, no, not only that, but they also had Xavier Worthy, who you may, you, yeah. as you may recall, is also pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like he, I'd look more toward if we're if we're gonna look at what he what he's probably gonna do, look more toward why than Texas or Pitt, right? Because like the guys they had at those two bigger programs. Like at Pitt, he threw a lot. Okay, Hawaii, they are creative and doing running and passing lots of things. I would look more toward that than what he did at Texas. And Texas, again, he's not just a wide receivers coach, but he's not shaping the offense in his own. So it's, mm-hmm. that's why I would look. At, I'd look more to Hawaii for and Howard too, going back even far, farther when he further when he beat up on um, UNLV on that huge upset. But I do think running back is going to be huge. They do bring in Vincent Davis from Pitt. Maybe that's going to be a guy who could do something. I don't know, but he has power five experience because Aiden Robbins, 1,000 yards, but Davis, he's tiny. He's 5'8", 175. Did decent stuff. He can, Here's why I think he could be good. Small guy can catch to the backfield. So he's him being versatile, could, that could be the new, like what they had at Hawaii a couple years ago. That could be, he could play that role potentially. See, you, you mentioned Vince Davis, and I think he's, he's definitely an interesting pickup if only because, you know, he... He was at one point Pitt's leading rusher, I believe, back in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, you you say that losing Aiden Robbins could be a big deal. There's also a pretty decent case to be made that it may not be as big a deal as you might suspect, too. Because in addition to Davis, they also brought in another guy, Donovan Lester from William and Mary. And if you're if you're less familiar with the tribe. There's a few things that you need to know. One, they were they were first an FCS okay. playoff team last year. <laughs> yeah, first it's okay. Yeah, it's it's more it's more than just two people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but one, you know, they they were an FCS playoff team last year, and they won a game in the FCS playoffs. And and Lester had a really big hand in that. You know, he had a very long touchdown run in their playoff win. But you know, more to the point. You know, he was in a timeshare with other people on that roster, but he had 76 carries, 533 yards, and eight touchdowns. And among running backs in the in the Colonial Athletic Conference, the, the CAA, second team all-conference selection. And according to PFF, his 86 overall grade was the third best of any running back in that conference. So, you know, you look at, at Davis as sort of like a – uh, an undersized guy who might be able to contribute out of the backfield. You know, I look at someone like Lester, who at least on the current roster, he's listed, at, I believe, at like 6'2", 218 or something, something along those lines. 215, excuse me. To me, that seems very Robbins-like. And so if you're looking for a tandem that okay. might be able to step up and replace that production, you know, it seems like they might have that on hand. And then they also have guys like Courtney Reese, who's been around for a long time. He's been, you know, he's played sparingly over the years, but he's been pretty reliable as a sort of a Swiss Army knife. And Jordan Young Humphrey, when he was given the chance to start last year against Notre Dame, again, not not great circumstances to, to take on a larger role, but he held his own. He had a couple of rushing touchdowns in that game. So UNLV might actually be in pretty good shape at running back despite losing a thousand yard runner. Yeah, it's still still I, I would say it's for you and it'll be it's still a big loss. Maybe they brought the guys in, they, these these two can do it. Yeah, I mean I was just like I, I went back and I looked at <laughs> at at YouTube clips of, of Lester in particular and just like you know the speed really jumps out in particular. Like yeah he has a lot of explosiveness at the line of scrimmage and I think that you would all be 
could be very well served by that. No, that it's definitely could be the case. It's just in spot work. Well, but I I know they had Charles Williams and things like that in the, the truck wagon years ago, but these two replacements are good because when I heard Louis Robbins, I'm like, dang, that's a, it's a tough blow for them. So that unit, mm-hmm. I'd still say there's potential there, but it's unknown potential. Like they might be good. They might be really good, but there's also news. There's a lot of question marks as we go through this with the new staff and new everything, new players. What are we really going to know about these teams or players specifically? Because we barely see much in spring transfers coming in and maybe they're an instant hit and they can get the ground running and rebels are comparable to last year. It's just a lot of what we've seen, but we don't know what the execution, especially this team is like, well, we don't even know. I have no idea to be honest. So then would this be a good time to talk about the offensive line? Of course. Because I do think that if, if the rebels aren't quite as effective at running the football as they were for most of last year, it might be because the offensive line is undergoing a pretty fair amount of shuffling. You know, they might have as many as three or four new starters, depending on how things shake out. And, and there were some, you know, areas of the game where they struggled a little bit last year. Like, you know, one thing that they had going for them was a 74% power success rate. You know, so they were very good in short yarded situations. That was 29th in the country. But at the same time, you know, their opportunity rate, which was, you know, their ability to get Robbins and other running backs to the second level was only 101st, you know, 45.5%. And then when it came to protecting Brumfield and the other quarterbacks, they also allowed a 9.1% sack rate, which was 115th. So there's a lot being asked of a lot of new faces, potentially, you know, Lee Faltanu, their center from the last couple of years, he transferred out to Arizona State. So, you know, the Rebels went out, grabbed a transfer of their own in Jack Haas, who, you know, played at Buffalo, started all 12 games for them last year. 930 snaps altogether, only gave up two sacks. You know, he was pretty, he was a solid piece for the Bulls out there in the back. But then you look at a lot of the other guys that they brought in through the portal, you know, guys like Jalen St. John, who was one of a, a number of, of players who followed Odom from Arkansas. You know, they also brought in Will Thomas. New Mexico State brought in you know, Jaden Naboa from Fort Lewis College from the Division II level. But all of those guys are relatively unproven. And then you also still have to consider, like, of the, of the holdovers that are left on this team, you know, money trig, right? That guard is a, is a solid piece. But I think if there's one potential X factor about who I, I would imagine might get pushed for his job. It might be Tiger Shanks who has spent time at both tackle positions over the, over the last couple of years, but you know, still maybe leaves a little something to be desired. He gave up six sacks last year. And so I think if you're, if you're wondering who's going to protect the blind side, that's sort of an open question. It could be Shanks. It could be, you know, someone like Marcus Miller, it could be someone like St. John. We don't know what that situation is going to look like just yet. Yeah. And like Mitch, if there's all this, this kind of goes to the whole team, right? Like it's basically, okay, new players, transfers coming in, new coach and coming from Arkansas, like coming from these guys, this could legit be a team where we make our record projection. And we're way off because of that's what the portal air is doing, which is good and not good because trying to preview these teams like, oh, this guy had talent at school X, but what do we know when he comes to school Y and new Z variable as new coach? So mm-hmm. all we can go off is like, okay, he played well at this position. He played well at this school. 
obviously the best case scenario for all these schools is having the same players back if possible, but with experience in different places, it's I honestly don't know what to make of the offense. I'll say I know I like Doug Brumfield a lot. And if he's healthy, they play well. And I don't care what offensive line they have in front of him. I think that's still the case. Their main most important thing is him, but they still obviously need to keep him upright and allow people allow the running open holes running game, protect the quarterback, those things, and we'll just see what everybody can do. It's again, it's a lot of wait and see for teams. It sucks when we're trying to preview all this when there's so many variables. And I, you know, and I would also say that if there's another potential question mark on this team, it might be you know, elsewhere in the passing game as well, because while, while Ricky white is back mm-hmm. and I know that he, you know, he has some supporters as a potential all conference, you know, you know, type of player, you know, you, you look at the roster and you realize that now all of a sudden, you know, Kyle Williams is gone. He transferred to Washington state. Nick Williams graduated. He's trying out for the NFL. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Weimer hit the transfer portal recently. You know, Aiden Robbins, like you mentioned, caught 23 passes last year. He's gone. You know, that's, that's four of the five players that caught at least 20 passes for this team last year. So, you know, just like with the offensive line, there's going to be a number of of players who are going to be expected to step up in much bigger roles. And, you know, white, I think is going to be a major key one way or the other, because I don't think there's any doubt that he really cooled off after that very hot start last year. And once they got into conference play, he averaged under 10 yards per catch. Did you realize that? Not good. Yeah, because you know, he was he was averaging in non-conference play, you know, he had 23 catches, 358 yards, three touchdowns. So that's 15.6 yards per catch. That will play. That's an all-conference player right there. Mm-hmm. But in the eight conference games that followed, 28 catches, 261 yards, one touchdown. So if he can get back to that August, September form that he flashed last year, that's going to make a huge difference for this team. Same thing if someone like Seneca McKee, who, you know, part-time duty last year, 17 catches, 209 yards and a touchdown, like he might step up into a larger role. But then, you know, elsewhere, there isn't quite that many proven entities. Like they they do have a tight end, Shelton Zeon third, who had 15 catches last year. But you know, then it then it's a, then it becomes a matter of well, okay, well, who else is going to step up? That's yeah, that's what they need because White Brumfield or White's going to be amazing. But I I'm I'm fine. Again, it's like okay, do I know what we're doing? But again, Brumfield's good, and what Brendan Marion's proven at our multiple jobs, it's just kind of finding out who's going to be tight end is going to be Mikai, like you mentioned, Seneca Mikai. There, it's I. I did, what we know at the offense again. If we look back at what Hawaii did that one year, wasn't that the year they had like Marcus Smart and all the like three receivers just tearing it up, including with Tyler? I'm trying to remember, uh, remember was that, was that? I believe that was twenty nineteen. I think that was under Nick Rolovich. Okay, I wasn't sure. Okay, I was trying to remember because I know he bounced around a bit, so maybe it doesn't fully encase. But I do know when he's Hawaii with with what they versatile they made players. We're going to see running backs go in the back, but we're going to see receivers do different things. And we know they'll play to the strings. I just, I I don't want to be, it's weird. I want to be glowing. I want to say they're going to be great, but it's hard to say not knowing besides oh, this guy came from D2. This guy was injured last year. We mentioned Ricky White. That's something we can know. Okay, he played poorly part of the year, but played great. 
if I think if he could have a more baseline consistency, that'd be awesome. That'd be what they'd want to do and help the team well, have that stable wide receiver. Well, and this could be a unit that that benefits from a from number of transfers as well. Like, you know, they brought in Gavin Thompson from Pitt. They brought in uh, Landon Rogers from Arkansas, another former Razorback. Um, but the one guy that seemed to you know, get a lot of attention at a spring practice was Jacob DeJesus from Modesto Junior College here in Central California. You know, last year, you know, he had, uh, I believe, 64 catches, 914 yards, five touchdowns. You know, at I believe he's listed at 5'7", 175 on the roster. Like, if, if he could step up and be a weapon out of the slot, that could also be a very big deal for the Rebels. It could take pressure off of White by giving defenses something else to focus on. But again, it's 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 a matter of sort of breaking it. But then again, you know, I would have said the same thing about someone like Weimer. This time last year, I was very bullish um, on Weimer's ability to contribute. And then, of course, he got banged up before he was transferred. So we didn't really get to see it. And that was another one of those things that, you know, when all that, when you look back on last season, really sort of left fans wanting. And so the, it's the same kind of situation where the, the talent is right there. Now they got to go out there and prove it. Yeah, that's but hopefully that's the case, and we'll see. So, all right, ready for a defensive jump to the ball? Yeah, let's do it. So, I think with this, because if we look at going back to what they did last year, kind of the scoring and what they allowed and didn't allow for part of part of those games, there was that stretch again where they're giving up thirty something points, forty something points to San Jose State Air Force. It's not to say they're great beyond that because they still gave up almost 30 to North Texas. They gave up 20 plus. Their defense wasn't anything special, but 40 plus just is out of the question. If they're going to take any step forward, like they gave up, what's what was your average? Almost th- what, 28 a game or something like that? 30 a game almost? Well, if you want to look at it in terms of like points per drive, um, they, were like 80, lot, yeah. they were 83rd by points per drive last year, 2.39. Okay. That's uh, bot. What's that? Bottom third, bottom quarter. Uh, yeah, give or take, like Something right like there on the edge. I think you know what's important to remember about this defense last year is I think it was it was very boomer bust. Yeah, because on the on the one hand they led the Mountain West in total takeaways; they had twenty one altogether, um, and they were pretty good at getting after the quarterback. You know, they they had a seven point three percent sack rate that was forty second in the FBS, so they had some things that were going for them. And it's just, you know, now, you know, they're they're replacing just enough pieces to make you think that, you know, if if they struggle, especially in the in the defensive front, to find new pieces to replace, like for example, an Adam Plant Jr., you know, that could cause problems for them in the long run. But again, you know, they have a lot of intriguing pieces returning. And they, you know, I think I would say the more interesting transfers are on this side of the ball. Yeah, because I think defensively you can make more noise if you're a transfer than an offense skill player where you're relying on a quarterback or somebody to get you the ball. Mm-hmm. So having these transfers come in, like, okay, they can beat on things. Not it's not like coaches would be like ready to go, but it's easier to make an impact, I think, defensively than say if you're a wide receiver who relies on more not just yourself to be successful. 
Yeah. Like, you know, case in point, you know, I look at a guy like Xavier Carter, who transferred in from LSU. I believe he was a former four-star recruit for the Tigers. And when you go and look at, you know, his his tape from like high school and things like that, like, you know, the athleticism really popped off the page. You know, his ability to rush the passer is something that I'm I'm almost certain the Rebels are, are looking to count upon this year. And I do think that it helps, too, that they'll also get Brennan Scott back from the injury that sort of wiped out his 2022. You know, if you'll recall, you know, Scott had double-digit tackles for loss as a, as a redshirt freshman two years ago. So I think between those two, and if you want to throw Jalen Dixon in there as well, he had six and a half tackles for loss as well. You know, that gives you sort of a, a starting trio that you can build upon. I think the bigger question is, you know, how well is the, I would say, the interior, you might call it a quartet. You know, they have Ben Key, Waisali Muevesi, Darius Johnson, and Naki Pihina. You know, how good can that group be to keep teams from running wild between the tackles and and, and enable guys like Carter and Scott and whoever ends up lining outside as, as an edge rusher? Maybe that's Elijah Shelton, or for example, might be another guy to do that. You know, can those guys on the interior hold up to be able to let players do el- players elsewhere in the front seven handle business of their own? Yes, that's because look at what they did, like who they return and these new guys in. Because I found out my point answer here. Did you know? I will get back to the position group. They have not allowed, or sorry, that's offense. Sorry, they're good defense. UNLV has not allowed under 30 points per game. Do you want to guess what year last year they did? They allowed under 20, 30 points per game. Was it the full year? Was it 2013? 2007. That was a while ago. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's, so their defense, they need to figure something out this year. Uh, in 2019, they allowed like 35 points per game in like a couple years ago. They, I don't, it has to be better. Like that's, has to be one of the, what's terrible. They're, they're, it's not like Rebels known for the defense. Like the when they've been successful, they've been scoring points. So like you mentioned, they bring in these transfers, they bring in their front um, six or front seven, I guess you want to call it for this team, but something's got to give him hope. Maybe the new mindset with Barry Odom there, it's like, okay, we're not going to, this isn't the team from last year. It's not the team from four years ago. This is my new team. And we're going to make plays and we're not, we're not going to give up points. When we play San Jose state, when we play Hawaii, when we play Boise, when we play CSU, we're not giving up points. We're going to be the team that stops that. And so if, that's that, turn, why, if okay. that turn ends, that'll be huge for them to get closer to a bowl game. And I'm glad you said that because you know we've, we've talked a lot about Brendan Marion and we've mentioned nothing at all about Mike Shear, the defensive coordinator, who I, th- who I think personally is maybe the more interesting hire, mostly because we aren't talking about him. And because you know of his familiarity with Odom, he came over from Arkansas, just like the head coach mm-hmm. did. Was he the linebacker's but, coach, right? Yes, but and, and not just that, like he was a very good linebackers coach as well. Like last season, they had a, an AP All-American, you know, Drew Sanders, who, if memory serves, was he a first round or a second round pick in the, in the NFL draft last year? I forget. I don't recall the top of my head. That's the top 60 picks regardless, so. But yeah, but yes, but in, in any case, he was one of the best linebackers anywhere in the country. You know, he was a Butkus Award finalist the year before that. You know, you may remember Bumper Pool all-name team in college football, but he was an all-SEC performer yep. in 2021. Oh, you know, he was the, the he was that program's career-leading tackler when all was said and done. And so, 
you know, I, I'm very, very interested in what Shear, in his background with linebackers in particular, can do with this bunch. Because, you know, Shelton might play sort of that outside linebacker edge type of role. Scott might do that as well. So could Carter. But then you also have other guys who probably figure to take on much bigger roles. Like, you know, they have some holdovers from last year, like Kyle Beaudry, um, you know, like Fred Tompkins. And, and I think, you know, guys like Tompkins are maybe the more interesting candidates to break out this year because they, you know, Tompkins got more run in the second half of last year, ended up finishing with 59 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. You know, I think the, 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 the old staff at least saw something that they liked in him. You know, he could be an anchor in the middle of that defense in the same way that Austin Ajaki was before him. And then on top of that, you know, they also brought in another former Arkansas guy, Jackson Woodard, who, you know, Odom speaks very highly of, you know, even if he hasn't seen quite as many in-game reps, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how this particular unit shakes out specifically because that's Shear's, you know, particular specialty. Yeah, and I think for what he did at Young Age Arkansas against, dude, he's playing, again, Texas, Alabama, uh, Missouri, all those teams out there, LSU. It can't be, it's got to be an improvement, especially with players come back from injury and everything. And who they, I, I just, the upside's too big to ignore here, I think. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. There we go. Short, 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 short term words. Let's mix it a little bit. But yeah, I just, the, again, it, it comes so stupid. It comes back to say, hey, prove it, be better, do all these, do these type of things. I just have, I'm confident, but I'm, as you can see, see my interpretation here, right? I'm like, I think they can do well. I think they can do this, but I'm not going to come out and say they're going like eight and four or anything, which I don't think mm-hmm. is the case either. It's just they have pieces in place to build something something they haven't seen in a long time. And I don't think that's too far off. You know, I think if I'm going to revisit that question from the beginning about whether more wins are going to come because of better offense, better defense, I think if I had to pick one or the other, it is going to be defense. And I think if I'm going to narrow in further, though, you know, I want to see the secondary put it all together. Because they did some pretty good things last year. Like I mentioned, you know, they led the conference in, in interceptions. They had 15 altogether. But at the same time, they were next to last in the conference. They allowed 62.1% of opponents' completions. Um, you know, they were ninth in, in yards per attempt, 7.5. They were 10th in, in allowing 20 plus pass yard, or excuse me, passing plays of 20 or more yards. They have 41 altogether. But everybody's back aside from Noel Williams to try and do it all again. And so I'd like they have so much potential on this group. And they added pieces like, you know, they added a guy like Jackson Turner, who might very well be, you know, of all the transfers that we mentioned so far, the most important new arrival, because, you know, unlike a lot of other players, you know, maybe, maybe Lester would be the one, I think the other most proven entity in this bunch but at Arizona last year, 79 tackles, three pass breakups, two interceptions, two forced fumbles. He was an impact player for the Wildcats. And alongside, you know, a, a developing safety tandem in Jonathan Baldwin and Jordan Morgan, both of them were pretty good themselves last year, too. I think they combined for 13 TFL, or excuse me, 13 pass breakups. 
and three interceptions, you know, that's a that's potentially a pretty strong trio in the you know patrolling center field back there. I think the major question is, you know, how are they going to replace Williams at cornerback? But it is just as likely that Cam Oliver, who had three interceptions last year himself, might be just as good as Williams. And we we've, we've seen what you know Jerry Williams can do in the nickelback position. He had moments as a playmaker. Ricky Johnson over the last couple of years has had his moments as a playmaker as well. And then BJ Harris is another one of those small sample guys. Um, you know, only 120 snaps last year, but he had a PFF grade of 78.3. You know, if he takes on a larger role, I'm sort of interested to see what he can do as as a more established part of that cornerback rotation. Like it's I think that might be the one thing that makes or breaks this team's fortunes this year is even if they're intercepting fewer passes, okay, they just be stingier overall against the pass. Yeah. Well, look who they play. Like, I'm not going to include Vanderbilt, Michigan, but Hawaii throws the ball a lot. She's going to throw the ball a lot. Fresno State will. I think New Mexico will. San Jose Jose State will. So a good chunk. But half their schedule, non-conference play, just over, it's going to be throwing the ball more than running. And that's going to be their more – the area they want to they're better at, I should say. Yeah. And that's going to be a concern potentially if they don't get this group together. And like I say, we'll see what happens, right? <laughs> that's right. All right. What do we have for special teams here? Kick, kickers, punters, returners. Do we care? People care. We should care, right? We, you know what? And, and in this particular case, Rebels fans probably do care because, on the one hand, they bring back Marshall Nichols, who was rock solid in his first year as a punter. On the other hand, though, they're replacing the program's most accurate kicker ever in Daniel Gutierrez. Yeah, he's and he, he was very, he was very good <laughs> last year. Um, and and they they imported a few options to be able to sort of open up the competition. You know, they brought in. Jose Pizano from Missouri State. They brought in Andre Miono from Fresno State. Um, you know, they they have Ryan O'Hara as a holdover from the last couple of years. So it's sort of anybody's guess as to who's going to win that competition. But you have to imagine, like, you know, pun intended, there was a very big shoe to fill in the kicking game. And that's one of those things where they, they knew they could rely upon getting three points over the last couple of years. You know, what, how is it going to change the calculus of what this offense wants to do if whoever wins that job maybe is a little more shaky than anybody would, would be comfortable with? You know, because I, I I look at the fact that, you know, UNLV last year only attempted 19 fourth down tries. That was, you know, seventh among Mountain West teams. But I'm interested in, you know, how that might change, you know, how and when they choose to be more aggressive if the kicking game isn't quite as reliable this time around. For them who need to score points, they definitely need it because all the goals one score games and close matches they had. Yeah. And they could they could come down to those separate things. And punning, is it just going to be our four team selection we made with um Marshall Nichols? Probably. Probably. He's pretty good, right? <laughs> yes. He it's 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 all goes hand to hand. Like for this team to be good, like have Canellas just punter kick. Everybody, if they're just a touch better, they still may, may not make a bowl game, but they need where there's some talented players like African. Oh, he's just fourth team. Well, if you're, that's a top third punter in the conference. And we know how important punters can be for flipping the field and doing those uh, situational type kicks to help everybody out. 
So uh, we joke about it, but we really know there's value in this. <laughs> Schedule time. Let's do it. All right. So non-conference schedule. Hey, open up against Bryant. That's not bad. FCS team. You are also. You know where, okay. Off the top of your head, do you know where Bryant is located? What state they're they're located in? Oh man, you're gonna people are gonna crush me. Um, no, they won't because I, I guarantee you, like ninety five percent of our listeners will also won't know unless they look it up. South Carolina, Smithfield, Rhode Island. I got the time zone right. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea where they were either. I just I that had the benefit is... of doing a doing the first look article yeah. on them. That is a far trek. Interesting so, team, though. If if you're ready for an FCS minute, do it. What do we got? How good were they last year? So they were only four and seven last year, but you know a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were you know had a lot of close game misfortune. You know they they lost a four overtime game against Florida International to begin the year. Um, you know, dropped a two overtime decision to Brown two weeks later. Eventually finished the year two and five in games decided by eight or fewer points. But the one interesting team thing about this team, they got a lot of talent on offense. They scored 33 points per game. Yeah, they scored 33 points per game. Their quarterback, Zeviek House, two years ago, he was the uh the, the all he was the Northeast Conference's offensive rookie of the year. He was a finalist for the Jerry Rice Award as the top FCS freshman anywhere in the country. Last year, he threw for over 3,200 yards, 26 touchdowns, and he's got a lot of weapons around him. You know, he has a, a, a Landon Ruggieri who nearly caught 1,000 yards last year, six touchdowns. They have maybe the best return specialist on the FCS level in Anthony Frederick. You know, he was, I believe, he was the Big South's special teams player of the year last year, and he also has averaged 15 yards per catch in his career. So he's a do-it-all kind of guy, and and – if UNLV isn't careful, mm. I'm going to say Howard's the Rebels are going to win this game. But if they're Howard, not careful, Howard 2.0. <laughs> I was going to say Eastern Washington 2.0, but yes, okay. Like it, it's it's a it's a team that I think was maybe a little bit better than his record indicated last year. So I do think UNLV will win this game, but it also would not shock me if Bryant put up a fight and forced UNLV to win a track meet in this one. That would be, yeah. I this could be. It's also one of those games where, hey, their defense, as we mentioned, needs to kind of secondary will get tested early, so it's going to be a win. But like you mentioned, it's a good test before their non-conference slate of at Michigan, which is not going to be a win. And Vanderbilt, we'll see. Do we need to talk about the Wolverines? We probably should for a minute, right? I guess to be be fair, we'll get we'll get the people a Wolverine minute too. Yeah, it's games on CBS. That's good. Most people can watch it if you choose to decide to partake in like some sort of punishment on yourself, maybe. Because what was, did they these two teams play last year, or was that Hawaii who Michigan just crushed? Michigan crushed both Hawaii and Colorado and, State. If you recall, Colorado State. I do remember CSU. Um, playoff team, Michigan, right? That's right. Last, last year, Jim Harbaugh. It's so. What do we got for them? Because they're going to be. They're going to be, what, the top 10-ish team this year, probably contend for the uh, Big Ten title once again. They I mean, are they might be a top SP. five team. They they will probably compete for another playoff spot. Yeah, SP Plus has them third overall, seventh offense, fourth defense. 
projected to have more wins in Ohio State at 10.4 to 10.1. Um, they do lose a quarterback and transfer, but it doesn't matter because they found their guy. After well, they have their quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. I just mean, they, they tried the let's play one quarterback one game last year, other game, to kind of figure things out. So they definitely mean they did find McCarthy early on. Yeah. And they put up points. They can do good. They, they're just a team. Like Jim Harbaugh's finally figuring it out, too. Because it took him a minute. Well, and not, not only that, but you know they also have maybe the best running back in the country in Blake Corum. I was going to say, Blake Corum, 1,400 yards last year, almost 20 touchdowns. So, any mystery games. <laughs> yeah, and, so and he, they've got plenty of talent on defense, too, which I think, you know, that that I think is going to be the thing that causes UNLV problems in this game. Michigan's just got athletes at every single level. they got Chris Jenkins at the defensive tackle spot. they got Junior Colson heading up their linebacker core on the back end. You've got young guys like Will Johnson and Morgan Walker. It's going to be, I mean, obviously UNLV is probably not going to win this game, but I think if anything, I would want them to have a much better showing than what we saw from Hawaii and Colorado state against this Michigan team last year. And that's because on paper, UNLV should be a better team than those two teams were this time last year. It's early, new staff, new transfers. We'll see. But so, what do you mean? What would you see considered competitive, like within twenty-four points? Probably. Question. He says, "Questionably." I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Michigan is more like a USC, like we talked about it. I believe most recently in our San Jose State podcast. Could be. Because right now, see if there's a line out. There's no line at the moment, but it's probably 26 and a half. I'm betting easy. Mm-hmm. E- easy. But it's a loss. All right, what do we got next? They play Vanderbilt. At home, right? Is that correct? Do my eyes That's deceive right. me? Or are they coming to Allegiant Stadium? So Vander- Vanderbilt clearly not a good SEC team. But they always they're getting better. They're getting better. Um, they do. It's we'll see them before they do play Hawaii in week zero, so we'll already kind of see what they have on going on with them. But they were finished seventh, what were they seventh in the SEC last year? And they we but remember last week that when they played Hawaii, oh, Hawaii might be able to keep around. Vanderbilt's terrible. Vanderbilt beat the pants off Hawaii last year, was yes, they did. Close. But when you look at what they really have, like it just wants not a good quarterback. Is he even their starter going to be going this for this year? Yeah, I mean, he he took over the starting job. I want to say like midway through last year as a, as a true freshman, by the way. Um, he was efficient, you know, six, but not great. Well, I mean, he was, a, he was a true freshman playing in the NCC East. Let's cut him a little slack. You know, he completed 58% of his throws, you know, 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, only a 1% interception rate. And he has some pieces around him. You know, he has a pair of, of pretty good wide receivers in Jaden McGowan and Will Shepard. I think what is ultimately going to be make the difference for Vanderbilt this year is how well the defense comes together, despite the fact that they're losing maybe their top playmaker in Anthony Orgy, you know, who graduated is on to the NFL now. But they've got some pretty decent players, at least on the back half of their defense. Like they have Jalen Mahoney, it's, you know, their star safety, Ricky Wright alongside him, CJ Taylor at the anchor position, sort of that nickelback spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so they've got some talent there. I think on paper, it should be a pretty competitive game, though. 
Think so? I just think that I just think that Vanderbilt, by virtue of having sort of SEC caliber talent, is probably going to be the team that pulls away from them in this one. What do you think? You're considering it a close matchup, though. I I think it'll probably be like a two touchdown game. Okay. I don't think they're going to win, but I do think this will be a better measuring stick when they get the league play. The only issue yeah. concerned, like they played Michigan the week before, how many players will be healthy? Will they do what we or um, what Blake Anderson did, did at Utah State, where they're getting crushed by Alabama and just pull everybody out? Could they do that mm-hmm. to save health wise? Because that could be a because Michigan's going to be a, a pretty bad beatdown. I don't think they're going to win. They'll be sitting at one and two, where they go on the road to face uh, UTEP, which under Dana Dimmel they're improving. But there's still a team where it's like in Conference USA, like, well, we'll see. Because they're just it took a team something of a step back last year. Yeah, with all players to Arizona and stuff, and players transferring to Portal, like, oh, I did good at UTEP to go somewhere else and get some NIL money, get some more exposure to maybe make the NFL. So that's always a concern with a place like UTEP. And they did. They clearly did take the step back. They weren't awful, but they weren't what they were when it was a bowl game. When they played, I forget what Mountain West team they played. Was it Fresno? It they was Fresno State in the New Mexico Bowl. Yeah, yeah, New Mexico Bowl. So they played them, and but they're they're not the format anymore. But they're also not a bowl team from last year. They could. I mean, they have the talent to bounce back though, because they've got a lot of veteran pieces back on both sides of the ball, like on offense, for example. You've got Gavin Hardison, who might be the most you only live once quarterback anywhere in the country. Um, <laughs> you know, only 52.1% completion rate last year, but he did have over 2,000 yards, 11 touchdowns against eight interceptions. But if he's more, yeah, but if he's more efficient, like that should be a step in the right direction. They also bring back their 1,000-yard receiver, Tyron Smith. You know, they bring in at least one of their running backs from last year, Deion Hankins. He had 700 yards, averaged five yards per carry, had a few touchdowns. I think the, the bigger question is, you know, how well can the defense regroup? Because that was one of the things, I think that was the thing that maybe let them down a little bit more than, than anybody in El Paso would have anticipated. But a lot of their stars from the last couple of years that led that breakthrough two years ago are still there. Up front, you know, you still have praise on the Wule and Keenan Stewart. You know, the linebacker Tyrese Knight is still there. You know, they brought in AJ Odoms from New Mexico after they had after Odoms had a very good year with the Lobos. So I do think that you know UTEP should be able to make it a pretty good game. Like you know, there weren't a lot of games last year where the miners were like truly out of it. I think the, the one exception was maybe on the road at Oklahoma. So it's not a game that the Rebels will want to take lightly. I would say. For all intents and purposes, it is probably a must-win game, especially coming off what is likely to be a competitive game against Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, it'll be if they want to potentially get to six, they have to win this game. Yeah, well, if they want to, if they want to get to six, they've got to at least win a couple on the road. And that's one of them, right? I do think this will be one of them. Yeah, I have them winning this game. And then they got non, non, non or sorry, not not league play. League play starts. Hey, they get to play the Golden Pineapple or Ninth Island Trophy. Or what's the official name for it? It's something bad. I believe the official name is the Ninth Island Showdown. Okay, Golden Pineapple. But Golden Pineapple is way better. Because that's what it looks like, right? That's the trophy. That's right. (laughs) Like, I get it. And we'll talk about Hawaii more closely down the road. But with with the uh, Warriors rebuilding up a little bit under Timmy Chang, 
and with Marion, not that there's much knowledge from before because that's a different two coaching staffs way, I believe, from him being there, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. So it's not like he knows, oh, well, this guy does this, this guy does that. There might be a handful of players, but it wouldn't be worth his time to focus on that. They'd rather focus on what that defense has and what for wise defense, what they can or can't do. Um, well, we see what Braden Schrager can do throwing the ball. We Hawaii has new running backs in the in the mix. A lot of new players as well because Chang is like, what's his um, – oh, geez. Um, Todd Graham, like, everybody left town again. And so it's like, well, they're still trying to bring back those players. They lost yeah. – Kendrick Parsons left last year. They do have um, – who's the running back that averaged like seven yards a carry last year? Um, but not Alan Hines. Yeah, Hines, he could be a big – he should be a big step-up player. I don't think he'll average that. So that's one of the key players that defense needs to look out for. And we know Timmy Chang's going to want to throw the ball a lot. And so this will test that secondary again for another week. Absolutely. Um, I think being at home, they'll beat Hawaii, though. I think Doug Yeah, I, I agree. I have that one as a win as well. And so I just think quarterback play and Rebels were close last year, five and seven. They were right in cusp of getting to that. It's like where they want to be for a bowl game. They go to Nevada, which is a shame it's middle of the season, Matt, a rivalry game. Should be Nevada Day's what on Halloween? Is that technically what it is, I believe? Yes. And are you surprised? Okay. Our our staff voted. Were you surprised Nevada wasn't last? A little bit because I had them I, last. I had them Full last. Alert. I looked at Chris Murray, Nevada Sports, I had them like seventh. I'm like, what are you smoking, dude? They're no, they're not that good. Like Ken Wilson get there, I think, but this is going to be an easy win for this might be a blowout rivalry victory for the for the yeah, rebels there. Oh, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far because this game always seems very unpredictable. But I do think they'll be able to keep the Fremont Cannon red. They'll keep it red. I the, there's no quarterback there. They remember they lost your favorite player in the world, Don Peterson. He's gone as well. That's gone. true. The, the experienced players that they had were good are gone, and they weren't good last year with those good players. So there's no, I don't see a chance. It'll be a small chance that they're going to win. Then we go to CSU. This is going to be a fun one. This is going to be like the uh, UTEP game, right? I think where when we look at quarterback play, when we look at um, Torrey Horton, who could stop him secondary. This is one of those games where come coming to play where can he stop the passing game? We don't know. Avery it's going to be a real tech- pivot game for both teams, I think. Yeah, because I think isn't Avery Morrow technically on the roster still for CSU, but we don't know what his status is. I believe so. Yeah, that's hard to pick. I think the Rams are Rams are going to get it done. Or not going to get it done at home. Or I'm looking at the wrong team here. UNLV is going to get it done at home. I'm looking at my Rams schedule to make sure my win losses match up. Because if you listen to our Rams podcast, I picked UNLV to win, so I'm picking it here because you know continuity, right? You can't just do whatever makes yeah. changes willy nilly. Yeah, I think I have, the, I have this one as a Rams win. Oh man, if you're following a lot of my picks, Rebel fans are loving it <laughs> so far. Um, they're not going to beat Fresno State. I think it's pretty clear. Talent wise, country wise. Well, okay, um, but but here's okay. Let's not forget though. I know they played the Bulldogs pretty mm-hmm. tough over the last few years. They have. There's the one score games, multiple times, I believe. At least last year was very close. Um. Yeah, I mean, still... the last two years they lost by seven and they lost by eight. Okay. That's, oh, that's right. Two years. Okay, I'm trying to remember exactly. I knew it was last year for sure. Um, Fresno does have a lot of turnover. New quarterback. New running back. Couple guys went to Washington State. Portal guys left, like most programs have. So it's not unusual. But I'm still going to Fresno to win, especially because it's a road game. 
At New Mexico, also an interesting game. I'm marking that as a win. I'm bullish on both teams, but I have this one as a UNLV win as well. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I can't wait to talk New Mexico because there's a lot going on with new staff and new quarterback. I still think New Mexico. I think New Mexico will be better, but they didn't win a conference game last year, and they're not going to beat the Rebels. Um, these last three games are very difficult. Wyoming, Air Force, San Jose State. I have all three losing, all three losses. I think the Rebels are going to be able to hold serve at home against both the Cowboys and the Spartans. What? Wow. I am I optimistic it. about UNLV. I said back in January, I believe, that I was buying UNLV stock, and I have the courage of my convictions. Once we get there, if you're following along on my record, like so do I. But I don't think they're beating <laughs> Wyoming or Air Force or San Jose State. Their schedule's too... It's like it goes in the perfect thirds. First, non-conference, reasonably tough. Middle, manageable. Last four, quite difficult. San Jose State's going to pass them to death. Air Force is going to run them to the death. And Wyoming's just going to stop anything. Doug Brumfield and whoever's going to stop trying to move the ball. Yeah, I, see, I the, the, the only one that I would I would I would strongly agree with that Air Force matchup just historically has always mm-hmm. seemed like a very 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 bad matchup for the Rebels. Like they had a couple of two score of uh, one score games back in 2017-2018, but like you look at recent history outside of that, like going back to 2009, they <laughs> You know, the last two years they lost by 35 and 34 points to the Falcons. Like when when they're on their game, you know, the Falcons just seem to run roughshod over this Rebels defense, which I think, you know, even despite the fact that they're losing their quarterback and, and their top runner from a year ago, yeah, I, I don't see a lot of reason to think that it won't continue to be a bad matchup for this UNLV defense. Yeah, I just... Um... It's not going to go well for that game. But it's part, my reason for Spartans, shape on Cordero will throw, throw better and be that way. And then Wyoming's defense will just shut them down. They'll be, I think they can hang with San Jose State, perhaps. Wyoming, unless it's like 10 to 3, like I don't think they'll be able to score enough points to do anything on their end. So that's why those last three losses for me. So what's uh, what's your overall record for them? Apparently 6 and 6. <laughs> So I have them at seven and I have them at seven and five. Wow. What's the over under? Five and three in conference. What's the over under in Vegas has? I believe it was five and a half. Cool. Five and a half. Hmm. If it's four and a half, I'd totally take that over. Five and a half is tricky for me. I mean, I know that the schedule does have a little bit of trickiness to it, but I think it – like, one, they they don't get to play Boise State or San Diego State, which I think is That's huge in their favor. Oh, yeah, for and sure. honestly, you know, if if they are – if they go perfect at home, which, you know, I have them losing against the Rams, but I'm not, like, saying that's a surefire thing that's definitely going to happen. If they, if they, if they are perfect at home – and the talent comes together to think the way that I think that they can. You know, we, they've threatened Fresno State in, in years past. Mm-hmm. And I think the the majorest question mark is just, you know, if if everything comes together, like what is that going to mean for that matchup against Air Force more than anything? Like, I think 
I'm optimistic enough about this Rebels team to think that if everything goes their way, they could be competing for a conference championship this year. What? If everything goes their way. You are crazy. Which, which again, it's going to involve a lot of different things. Like if, if Doug Brumfeld can stay healthy, if the running back situation can resolve itself with those transfers, if the passing game can find some new reliable targets, if the defense can give up fewer big plays, the talent is there. Now comes the production. Now comes the results. You're pretty good at picking these one teams that overachieve by a lot. Or, or teams. No, here's the thing, though. Like they, it, like going from five to seven to seven and five is not a huge thing. No, 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 no. You're saying five wins to conference content contention. I'm just saying. I'm saying it's within the realm of possibility. I'm not saying it's the most likely possibility, but if you if you okay. had like what a five five if you give them a five percent chance to reach the top two, like they're not def- like they're not. Def- Definitively worse than like a Wyoming on paper, I don't think, or San Diego State, or or even a team like an Air Force. I wouldn't say San Diego or UNL or uh, Wyoming, but I do I do agree with your premise because how much better is San Jose State to them? How much better is Fresno State to them for what they're losing? Like if we look at it that way, like if you're looking at a singular game. The only team I would say, like, if we're looking like, hey, these are guaranteed losses, I'd put maybe – I still not in your range, but can they be – The only, the only guaranteed yeah. loss is Michigan. You really think so? You don't think they're guaranteed – I think there's more. They can, they can beat Vanderbilt. They can beat yeah. Fresno State. And yeah. I think while road, it's maybe less likely, they can beat Air Force. Mm. I, for this year, I'd give you San Jose State and Fresno State as games they could win. I think there's no chance of being Wyoming and no chance of being Air Force. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But hold on. I'm pulling up FPI because I want to see something here to see if your 5% okay. chance is right. within range. I'm just about there as we're talking. So to win the division – or no, sorry, not a division anymore. I don't, know, I don't know why ESPN has that on here, but whatever. To win the conference – 2.6% chance from FBI. It's good enough for me. <laughs> 59.5% to win six wins. So that's kind of where we're at. And I'm just looking at these right now. They do not like Utah State one bit here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, that's okay. Neither do I. Okay. I'm just, it's just interesting seeing something here. I'm just looking at it. Um, you seem a bit more <laughs> bullish on Rebels than I am. I just don't. Part of me, a historical context. They just there's a mentality of them not winning very much, and that's hard to overcome. But that's a dumb thing when there's transfer portal, new coaches, new everything. It's a new start. But say, hey, besides saying that, if you told me if you if if you go down the strip, if I were to, I'm driving through Southern California upcoming, if I stop in Vegas, like hey, are you you like you going to be football? Like yeah. What if I told you they go six and six? You know how happy they'd be. They're, being they're, starved for, to... they're starved for a winner. Like if if they're above five hundred in November, we're going to a ball game. What they yes. they better they better show up at Allegiant. That's all I'm saying. I'm telling you this right now. I am going to be at the Colorado State game when, when they host them in Vegas. Very nice. So I will be there. See how that goes. But six and six, 
is great. I think you're overshooting a little bit. Not your seven and five, not necessarily, but you're you're kind of sounded like you're wanting them to go better than seven to five, honestly. I'm just saying I think that they can. I'm I'm like I said, I might be hedging a little bit, which I is feel like your... I say this with every team preview podcast. Yeah, why not? Have fun. But you never, I mean, you never know. They're, like I, I think the talent is there for them to make okay. or potentially make a run this year. We will see. I would go next year, but I think this year they could get to the bowl game. Because here's the thing, they lost to, like thinking about the talent they lost from last year to this year, we went through the names like Aid Robbins and others that wide receivers and guys who left. There's still plenty of guys who on the team last year were very close. And if they have an innovative offense and a more experienced coach, why can't they take the next step? It'll do two things. One, it'll, it'll prove everybody right and wrong. It'll prove that it could prove right that prove wrong that maybe they shouldn't have fired Tony Sanchez if they make a bowl game this year. It'll prove them right that it was to get a better coach or a more experienced coach to get them there. So it can both people can be right on the situation if they go to the bowl game this year. They have the talent mm-hmm. to be close. They need the coach to get them over the edge. So both can be right. Like, yeah. So that's why I feel the rebels. So that wraps up our UNLV show, UNLV show. Um, again, if you made it this far, thank you. Like our show, go, you know, you know, hit the button that says, yes, I want more of this about once a week, maybe twice a week in the season at, pro- at least. So we'll see you next time. We don't know what team we want, Matt, but we'll put it on Twitter at, at MWC wire for people to vote out. Correct. That is correct. A- anything else that you want to do a Hey Reb or something with Danny here to uh cheerlead for the rebels? <laughs> uh, as a Fresno state alum. No, you can't, can't do it. All right. That's fair. Can't do it. That's fine. <laughs> All right, but uh, that's no problem. And we'll get the votes in for next next team, and we'll see you then, everybody.